Let's start with some tough love, all right? You two suck. Say my name. That's what the kids call Prissy guy with the mustache. You're listening to Inside the Gillivers talking all things Breaking Bad, El Camino, and Better Call Saul. Brought to you by Stewart Travel Guitars. See the incredible stowaway travel guitar at stewartguitars.com. Also brought to you by Idea Bench, makers of hot rod inspired pedal boards and pedal board accessories at ideabench.com. Microphones for Inside the Gillivers are brought to you by Rode Microphones. Now, please welcome your hosts, Tom Schnauz and Eric Broadbent. It's showtime, folks. Good evening, everyone. Thank you for joining us for Episode 5 of Inside the Gillivers, where we're talking all things Breaking Bad, El Camino, and Better Call Saul. My name is Eric Broadbent. It comes with great pleasure to welcome my co-host, writer, director, producer, and this 2020 Emmy Award nominee, Mr. Tom Schnauz. Welcome back, my friend. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing good. I'm doing good, Eric. Thank you so much. Uh, of course, you know, we have to mention today is a uh, 19th anniversary of 9-11. I cannot believe that it's been so long, such a horrible, sad day in our, our, our history. Um, but look, we're, uh, everybody's, you know, keeping it together as best they can. Things are really crazy right now with COVID and just, uh, you know, we're here in California. We've got fires going on. It's just, uh, it just seems like it's the end of the world constantly. But, uh, you know, everybody stay strong. And uh, we're gonna we're gonna try to do a good show for you tonight. And we have a very special guest, one of my favorite guys. I mean, I can't stress for people who don't know how important the director of photography is in shooting an episode of television. I mean, this it's like a, you know, first of all, he's an artist. There's you know, they describe cinematography as you know that old description of painting with light, and it's it really is art, artistic, but it's also like the the man the the this DP has to be a, a field general, you know, it's, he's got an army under him. He's got grips. He's got gaffers. He's got camera operators, focus pullers. There's truck fulls of equipment. It's just insane. The stuff that this man has to juggle. So let's get him on camera right now. Marshall Adams, our director of photography for better call Saul for a couple of seasons now since season three. And yeah, he's just, uh, he, he, as Thank a director, you. he makes it, he and the crew make it so easy. I feel like, you know, cause everybody has nerves going into these jobs and you, you're like, Oh my God, am I going to screw it up? Am I going to screw it up? But you have, you have a guy like Marshall and the crew behind you. It's like you, you can't fail <laughs> it's, you know, oh, well, on your worst day. These guys will pick you up. So Marshall, thank you for being here. My pleasure, man. Thanks for having me. You guys <laughs> good to be here. It, it is great. To yeah. have you. And that's the thing. People don't realize the importance of this job and maybe we can start right off. Actually, before I even go into the first question, I just want to wish one of our regulars here, uh, Blazy Gardner, who is a diehard uh, Better Call Saul Breaking Bad El Camino fan. It's her birthday in just a few hours. So happy birthday to Blazy Gardner. She has the great, greatest questions as well, too. I've learned a lot about the show from her. So happy birthday. And, and Marshall, um, obviously a pleasure to have you here. And we're going to be learning a lot from you this evening. But the the title of you know director of photography, it, it sounds it sounds like a, something that you know, it's self-explanatory. But I think there's probably a lot more behind what the title is. And I'm sure like a lot of uh, cast members and crew members, they wear a lot of hats in different job descriptions. Can you kind of let the, the average people know what your job entails overall as opposed to just setting up cameras and, and filming? Uh, yeah. So I would guess it would be described as, you know, essentially being in charge of the image that eventually gets recorded or, or filmed, depending on, uh, on what you're doing. Um, and, uh, I don't, 
you know, people always assume that I'm operating cameras and, and that I'm in there with the camera and I very rarely touch the camera. I have uh, two camera operators. I have, you know, we have a whole bunch of camera assistants and, and our whole department is, is well, I don't know, nine people or something. It's a, it's a, it's a lot of going on. So, but uh, I have uh, the grip and electric crew who uh, answer to me and we do the lighting together along. Jeez. <laughs> All right, perfect. It's okay. Marshall's not in the sound department, obviously. No. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful downtown KOP. Uh, anyway, so um, uh, yeah, so together with uh, with a lot of other artists on the set, we we uh, we develop an idea and we work on it and we uh, we uh, fine tune it into something that, that that we're proud of. You know, it's uh, but it's essentially that it's in charge of essentially the image overall and working with the director over you know what the coverage might be and stuff like that fantastic here's here's a question right off the right off the hop from our live uh chat viewers as well and i i believe this was during your season it, it's, it's so hard for me to remember seasons where they are i just get so enthralled by the whole thing i know you came in around season three um arabella asked a question she says here's my question how do you come up with the idea of that gorgeous shot where jimmy and kim are silhouetted by the glow of the glass brick wall that stands behind them uh and the, you know when they get their first office the uh, the wexler mcgill office was that, that was your term term wasn't it that was marshall okay can you tell us a little bit about that one yeah sure um uh we uh well in first off the first two seasons those smoking scenes had taken place in the in the parking garage, and they were very stylized and, and an interesting angle. So uh, immediately, it was kind of a challenge to come up with something fun and interesting, and you know that we could do. Um, and uh, uh, that idea again, you know, I, can't, I I thank God I get all the credit for this stuff, but I certainly don't come up with it all. That's for sure. But uh, but yeah, that was an idea that was kind of thrown out, and it made perfect sense. And we kind of took a look at it and went, yeah, this is going to work great. So. Um, um, if I'm not mistaken, too, we did that shot where we included the top of the stage where they painted in all the stars, and everybody still is convinced that that was a night exterior <laughs> shot, and we shot that outside. That was incredible. Yeah, we do. I love one of my favorite parts of this job is uh, all the tricks, all the, all the tricks that the audience hopefully doesn't see, and that's one of them, being on stage and being able to, to put in a, a nighttime sky with stars that looks very real. Uh, Marshall, you did a shot on uh, 509. We had Mike with a sniper rifle on a roof, and that was also on stage. And in the background, one view we had a green screen where we put in on our own background, but another, the side view was something you created. Can you tell us about how you how you did that? Um, yes. So uh, because of the sniper rifle and the and the distance, it kind of lent itself to some long lens stuff. So we immediately uh, thought of you know being on a really long lens and throwing the background out of focus. And when we do that, and it doesn't happen very often on Saw, I love to create these kind of phony city backgrounds with with little twinkle lights. And the guys actually make what we call a light bright, which was a, a, a four by four piece of foam core. And we're just poking holes in it and putting gel over them. So, they, you know, they all have different colors and stuff. So we kind of build the city by poking holes in it. But um, so we were getting ready to we were looking at the images. We were getting ready to say we were you know good to go. And I realized that the, the stars they don't twinkle and it's and it's actually been a something that's bugged me forever and i had this idea a long time ago that when you actually look out at the city and it twinkles it's it's got like heat waves and things so i've always wanted to try it and this was a perfect opportunity the effects guys were there with their stuff so we asked them to bring in those uh those sterno cans and we put them all underneath the frame and it basically just generated heat in between the camera or between uh jonathan and, and the backing and worked out great 
That is um, that know. is absolutely one of my favorite things to do <laughs> on set. And why when you did that, I was like, oh my god, I love this job so much. There was another we did pickup scenes for four ten with uh, Mike and and Gus talking in a car, and the view out the window was crap. And you took a bunch of apple boxes and put them on light stands and just set them up to make them look like Santa Fe buildings. I was like, this is amazing. I love this. This looks <laughs> it's so crazy what's going on if you like look because you, you can't tell and it's it's amazing what you can get away with on screen yeah yeah i mean and there was the one i that still giggle about is the uh the scene with Werner is you know where he met his demise out there with adam and we were seeing the airport in the distance and, and peter happened to be on the set and so we decided we had to somehow get rid of it so we sent the key grip out there and we cut this mountain range out of foam core <laughs> stuck it on stands out there which is black so you can see the city lights kind of over the top of it and it literally looks like a mountain range but that's it's just a chunk of foam core anyway I, yeah that's that's so good that's so good if you want to go back many years i saw something on twitter the other day well it's not the other day probably I, when i say the other day it's probably a month ago but charlie chaplin stuff you know all of us grew up watching that kind of stuff and, you know, there's that one scene where, um, you know, one of his fast, you know, movies, he's kind of uh, skate or skateboarding, rollerblading back. The roller, the roller skate yeah, to, the, to the edge. Yeah. Yeah. And I, my whole life, I was fooled by that. And it's it's that depth of field with a little little card. Like he had just a bad painting. Yeah. Wasn't that amazing? So what you're just saying right now and look at Star Wars. I'm sure we're all Star Wars fans. What they did with, you know, models. And it's just, it's just absolutely mind blowing what we don't yeah. know. And it's like a magician, like David Copperfield and all these people. We don't, obviously there's some tricks. We don't know what it is. And we as audience members are just captivated in the moment. So what you're doing is great. And hearing this stuff is, I got goosebumps right now. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. No, it's, it's a lot of fun. You know, you try yeah. an idea and see what works. And, uh, you know, we, we are firm believers. And that's one of the things that I love about working with this group of people is ID, great ideas can come from anywhere. So, uh, and the door is kind of always open to, to receive them. And, uh, yeah. So, I mean, like the ant thing, I can, you know, I have to commend my opera or uh, my loader, Jesse Heidenfeld for finding that lens that even made that possible. You know, it was like, uh, and yeah, all the guys, I mean, it's, it's, it's incredible where the ideas come from. So <laughs> there's some good questions coming in again as well too. And this is more photography based. This is from Mrs. Ignacio Varga, uh, Marshall. <laughs> so I don't even know we had it misses yet, but we have one. I think uh, we had Mando on the show and that was absolutely crazy with the, with the girls. Um, but anyway, and the guys too, <laughs> uh, but she says, uh, what originally got you interested in photography? That's a great question. Oh, that's very funny. So I grew up uh, in Topanga Canyon, which was kind of a, a hippie-laden uh, area of, uh, north of Los Angeles, almost to Malibu, but nowhere near the money. Um, and uh, I, I would, my father had a, a, a flatbed uh, Super 8 editor that he had available to me and and a camera and so there wasn't a whole lot to do there anyway so uh, and we started skateboarding and so i started shooting skateboard movies and then that kind of led into making little kinds of little films and things that i was was cutting together but uh bizarrely my father's an architect and uh and david chase had bought a house that my father had designed and uh, and they became friends, and he, he was working. He was a staff writer on the Rockford Files at the time. Oh wow! Shows you how long ago that was. <laughs> yeah, and really. uh, and he invited me down to the set, and I was just completely so that I, the script supervisor let me time the the takes with her with her <laughs> stopwatch, and I was like, I thought this was the greatest thing ever. So, uh, although I got to go home like after six or eight hours, I didn't realize how late they were. But anyway, so yeah, that, I was completely hooked after that point. <laughs> That's amazing. What was your first job on a professional? film set what was your first role 
Uh, as a uh, PA, I was on a commercial. It was a car commercial uh, at A uh, and R Studios, the old A and R Studios. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I remember uh, yeah. getting yelled at by the camera operator to go get his <laughs> breakfast. <laughs> that was uh, I was started off as a parking PA. My first job on a film set was the King of New York. Oh wow! Lockdown in Times Square, and I remember the AD just hating my guts because I didn't know what I was doing, and I was had my backpack, and he was like, "Get rid of the damn backpack!" I was like, "In Times Square, where am I going to put it?" Was, yeah, you don't want yeah, to right, drop exactly. a backpack in Times Square. <laughs> yeah, don't leave it unintended. Uh, here's here's a couple more questions coming in from the chat as well too. This is from Nat Romero. Um, and this is going to be good because we're talking some gear here. It says, Marshall, could you talk about the change of look from uh, season five compared to the previous ones? I heard in the podcast that you're using the new camera. Uh, why this change in the middle of the series? Uh, well, we, I mean, uh, uh, one of the great things, one of the things that we uh, get to enjoy is that the guys are always kind of open to some new ideas and, and kind of expanding and, and, and improving the look. Um, the limitations that we had that were around at the time to shoot 4K uh, when they started the show, which was very early on in 4K delivery, uh, there weren't that many cameras available. So, and they've gotten better and, and, and progressed along. So this was the first season that Aeroflex had a 4K camera uh, that was available to use. So the Alexa uh, was, and interestingly enough, um, they uh, Peter and Vince tested it you guys tested it, Tom, right early on and uh, and actually really fell in love with the look of the Alexa. But because it wasn't 4K, it wasn't conforming to the yeah, signal. Yeah, I remember that was my vote. <laughs> yeah, right. I voted exactly. for the Alexa. Because <laughs> it has this cinematic quality, you know, it really does. And uh, anyway, so they were resistant to play the K game until uh, until the large format cameras came out. So uh, so that was the reason. It, and the other thing is, is that um, I find in some of the other cameras that the skin tones can be a little tough to track uh, and, and keep natural looking. So uh, this with the dynamic range of the Alexa, you, you can't beat it for, for, for those kinds of things. And uh, as tough as we are on the actors sometimes with the lighting, I think that's the least they could do is at least try to make their skin tones look good, right? Yeah. So, uh, absolutely. And that camera's only you've also had the, you, You've also been able to shoot uh, some 35mm and some 16 reversal and some uh, the, the shot with Dan Sackheim. What, what, kind of, what did you do there? That there was a, a shot in season three, I think, with, uh, yeah. with Chuck, right? Yeah. Chuck the, during the lawnmower scene, I think? Or no? uh, yeah, well, the one right after. Yeah, so when right. they're having dinner in the house and, uh, and yeah, and she's got the cell, you know, his, his ex-wife's got the cell phone and she's kind of coming at him and he's freaking out about the fact that he had no idea she had this battery in the house. So Dan had this idea about wanting to do something very, you know, off the beaten path for that particular shot. And I pitched him on a couple of ideas. And one of the things that I had worked with a few years before was a hand crank 2C. I don't know if you remember the old 2Cs, right? Yeah. Yep. Um, so this literally was only advanced with a hand crank. And, uh, and so we could wind it forward and backward. And that, that was the thing that we thought would really pay off would be the, you know, the triple uh, exposures and stuff like that. So what you see in the show is literally what was on film. There's, there's no um, sweetening it or adding anything to it. It literally is what we shot. So it's good. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. I mean, Matt, I, you know, I had Paul's is operating the camera and Matt, our other operator was actually hand handling, you know, operating the crank. So they're both in on it, which is very cool. <laughs> Cool. And I want to shout out to both of those guys. They're just absolute artists, both of them. I mean, everybody is, but they're the ones that uh, impress me a lot and are closest to me all the time, kind of 
pitch and ideas and stuff. Oh my God. Yeah. And again, as a director, you just have, you know, these guys set up shots and it just saves your bacon so many, t- <laughs> so many <laughs> times wow. in the editing room. You're like, oh my God, thank God they, they thought of that angle or did this. And it's, uh, you know, director gets all the credit, but it's these guys, you know, busting their butts, you know, looking around for interesting shots. Well, look, look at, yeah. we're looking at the Emmy Awards coming up here in, in the next couple of weeks. You know, we look at the, the writers like Tom and, and Gordon and, and all the writing, writing staff. I mean, they're, they're up there for, for uh, you know, awards and cinematography, all of this stuff. Everything contributes to what the success of this show is. You know, I mean, you, you can't, it's, you just can't take one person out of that whole wheel and, you know, say that, okay, it's all because of this person. It's like a band, right? You know, band breaks up and the lead singer thinks, I'm going to be a success and go on my own and, and their albums <laughs> suck. But they get back together, they put a record out and it goes platinum, right? It's just, you have to be the team and it's, it's a fantastic team. And there's more questions coming in as well, too. Um, this, and this could be for both of you in this case. Um, let me see, where was it about, uh, okay, I, I lost one. I'm going to come back to it in a second. But Karina asked, whose idea is it to shoot some of the characters in scenes with the actors slightly off center seems deliberate that's a very good question as opposed to you know tight shot well not too many tight shots but deliberately off center yeah heavy to one side or the other that's usually you know it's a combination it could be i mean that was very early on i think it was uh, when when vince and peter were talking about a look for the show that was something they were interested in and carried over uh they, they were sort of a they didn't do a Bible, but they had shots that they were interested in copying and and looking at, and certainly off-center things and uh, something framed heavy to one side. That was a style they wanted to introduce early on. Something they that we kind of lost. We early on they were very interested in long seventy style zooms, and I I think we dropped away from that. We don't do that as much anymore. But it comes it comes up every every once in a while. Yeah, yeah, no, we've we've done a couple and they've really been special and fun and yeah, absolutely. But you're right, they they don't come along very very often. I mean, it's so hard to zoom that far yeah. and have the time for it, right? I mean, you really have to have. And then this is a show that gives time for anything, right? And then right. we have a hard time finding it. So uh, uh, it's you know takes its time and really lets the, the the show develop, the story develop. But I mean, part of it, I mean, I would say that we actually balance those two things, you know, with off center frames. Versus even sometimes, you know, very symmetrical stuff, um, uh, you know, to the point where sometimes, like, you know, Paul's got a, a tape measure out there measuring the edges of the mat box to, to whatever it is that we're, you know, we're centered on. So, so it's a good balance. And a lot of it has to do with Paul and Matt, that they both have great taste in frames like that. And they pitch a frame and, and we go for it, you know. Yeah. And that's, a, again, such a lifesaver on set when you, you shoot one side of a character talking and then you want to go to the other side and match it and they'll, they'll know what to do, what, how they have to frame it so that when you're in a cutting pattern, it doesn't, because if something is why is off, it just, the, you'll notice it in editing and it's just not unappealing, but these guys frame it up in a way that you just, you know, just feel smooth when you're cutting back and forth between characters talking. You know who's really good at that is Paul because he's you know Paul told me a story one time he actually did Horatio Hornblower in in England and they only built one side of this of the the <laughs> ship and so anytime they had to be on the on the port side they had to flip everything uh, all the signage and the wardrobe and everything backwards and they shot it backwards talk about oh getting god. screwed up to which side of the line you're supposed to be on right oh my god yeah. I, uh, I, anyway, that's I, I, amazing. I was blown away. So I've never doubted his his screen direction since. Like, wow. He's like, okay, you win. That's hard. It's so hard to keep track of. I mean, that's when I do storyboards. I will have to write down, okay, character looks from left to right, so that I can just look at it and have a visual reminder. Because I cannot. It's so hard to keep track of all that stuff. 
Yeah. yeah. I like the fact how you talked about doing some of these things on purpose. Like, in, uh, you know, and Marshall, I'm sure you agree with this, with photography, you know, anything in life as well, too. You know the rules and you break it, but photography, the rule of thirds, you know, where are you going to put your horizon? Where are you going to put your, your, your subject? And I tend to do that a lot of times as well, too. I can't stand when I do any kind of demonstration videos of filming myself dead center. I know I'm dead center in my little window right now, but I always like to be either far left or far right. I mean, I'm kind of, you know, leaving room for if I want to put some overlays, I'm thinking ahead, but I just, I like to be off frame. And to me, that's just a comfort zone. So it's kind of cool when we get to see that. Not everyone's like tight zoomed in the dead center of the screen and you use it very creatively. So, Yeah, well, one of the other things that we uh, actually, you know, that I was first kind of informed by Michael Slovis in one of our first dinners when I was on Breaking Bad, that, you know, because he and I both came from CSI, which was, you know, it was kind of a smoke and mirror situation, but uh, um, was everything was is based in the story that's driven by story so a lot of those off-center frames oftentimes will have something in that other side that's actually that's telling a story point so uh that's something that we we really strive for that those frames aren't just interesting to be interesting but they actually have a story point to them yeah Yeah. here's a question in the chat um and this is this goes to either one of you and i'm sure you both witnesses so you can either one can comment um are are this is from Lori? Are Kim and Jimmy are they really smoking cigarettes in the scenes? <laughs> I'm assuming they I probably think don't. they have a some. It's something else, right? I you know I, I I wish I knew the exact answer. I know the prop department. I know they're not real cigarettes. They're not real they're cigarettes. There's some sort of herb thing that's, yeah. that smells even more disgusting than a real cigarette. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's that's a it's a it's a prop department trick. That, okay. Uh, <laughs> but it is a real. But they are smoking it for sure. They're smoking, no, absolutely. It. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, they're inhaling. But it's hopefully it's healthier than than real cigarettes. Yeah. Here, <laughs> Knock a, on wood. Here's something that goes really just deep. like Jimmy's not drinking real pee. They're not yeah. smoking something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh man, that was something else, right? And, I don't know with Bob. You know, he, he likes to get into character. And I'm not sure whose interview I saw. I'm not sure if it was Gold Derby, maybe with you, Tom, or or when you did the Gold Derby interview. I, somewhere I saw this, and I wish I could give full credit. Um, it might have even been one of one of Peter Gould's interviews, but talking about that and when that when that was written, they were worried that it would come off as comical, right? And when he when he would drink from it, and, and it didn't, and it come off really really you know uh, genuine and like almost like you're feeling him uh, really going through the pain while Kim's having to drink a water or whatever from the from the back home in the safe confines of the apartment. So that was very cool. But getting into another question from the fans, this is deep, and I'm going to pronounce this name wrong. Casa de Fuego, uh, how much did you have to dig into your past to shoot the Mesa Verde commercial on 16 millimeter? Oh, I'm sorry. I, I couldn't get past the name. <laughs> Can you repeat the question? <laughs> okay, and I know I'm going to it say... Was it. The, uh, how was it shooting the 16 millimeter reversal film on, uh, on the uh, Mesa Verde commercial? It was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. I pitched really hard to go with the with the eight mil, but uh, it was just a little too stylized. Um, but here's the thing. I mean that that one that one was very interesting because uh, the only lab that was pro- that's processing reversal film now, sixteen mil, is a small uh, lab in LA uh, called Eight um, Millimeter Pro. And uh, and one of the things they won't guarantee when they'll get the footage to you and they won't guarantee that it'll even survive. So uh, one of the things we had to do was shoot the commercial side by side with both the Alexa and the 16 millimeter to make sure we had something. And then in addition to that, uh, the film camera, we were actually using the other Alexa 
to shoot the monitor that it was being transmitted on so that the editors had something that they could start cutting right. while I they waited that. for the footage. So yeah, both cameras were working, one shooting a monitor and one shooting side by side with the, uh, with the film camera. But everything worked out and they were able to use it. And, uh, and because that commercial had to play in a scene a week later that was shot on stage so that it took the editors, they had to, they had to, yeah, cut that thing. And when they got the, the, uh, developed film, be able to cut it in, you know, pretty, you know, effortlessly, hopefully to get it to set, to shoot the scene where Jimmy's, uh, Taryn, uh, Kevin Wachtel, a new one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. Do all the graphics with the, uh, you know, bare genitals and all that. <laughs> <laughs> so good. So much fun. It was, it was uh, but yeah, it was great. It worked out really well, and uh, I, I love that stuff. Anytime we get a chance, I mean, you know, we're all suckers for for bringing the film back. You know, it's it's uh, we owe a lot to that look, and it's, it's just so beautiful and stylized, and it really puts you in the time and place, and it really does. And that kid you, was so great. <laughs> you talked about Michael Slovis, who I love. I love that guy. Um, um, can you talk? Talk about other cinematographers, even if we don't know who they are, <laughs> who may have yeah. influenced you in your life and uh, maybe have stolen a little bit. I've, you know, certainly stolen from any writer writers. Any lighting styles that you've sort of adopted as uh, your own? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, um, I don't know. I would say, you know, Laszlo was Kovacs was a was a big influence. I mean, those guys were were cowboys from the beginning, and and you know, changed the way that I mean, started. Mm -hmm. You know, with the two talk about the two C, right? I mean, they were shooting films on that thing. Um, uh, so, kind of bucking the system, which I've always thought was really cool. Um, uh, uh, Empire of the Sun, uh, I, which is one of my favorite films of mm -hmm. all time. Um, it's Kandi, I'm sure. Um, uh, and then you know the, the the guys that I that I worked with, John Flynn and and uh, um, uh, Levy Isaacs, and you know all the. Just the guys that I learned from, which I really, really learned a lot from, and uh, yeah, they were all big, big influences on me. So I read uh, a, I read a great article by Vittorio Storaro a, a while ago, an American cinematographer, that uh, the, his use of color and, and giving color meaning, which we do a lot on the show. We red is very important. Is that something you think about when you're lighting the set? When you're lighting, do you give meaning to any of the color, or you just is it a feel? Do you try to go? more realistic for the for the location or do you have a feel that color means something when you're when you're lighting a set uh, definitely affects the you know a person's mood and the tone of the of, of the the you know of the scene but i'm uh, more of a stickler for realism you know like i can't i can't ever bring myself to ramrod my style down in, in an off you know in an overhead fluorescent lit office or, or a day exterior you know i'm <laughs> Uh, a very kind of naturalistic, but when we get the opportunities to do fun stuff, you know, where we're out on that dump, you know, shooting into the into the backlights and the city lights, you know, using that as our separator, or or some of the other night exteriors that we've done, um, uh, yeah, absolutely, I, you know, we we we'll take the license and we'll go for it you know, for sure. <laughs> Here's a question from the fans as well, too. And this could go to both of you as well. I know this is probably directed to Marshall, but, Tom, I know you're out there in, in both of the elements as well, too. Uh, this is from uh, Lori. Would you rather shoot in the cold or the heat? <laughs> <laughs> and I know you get both. But Marshall, that's your question, because yeah. you were in the test for, for five months shooting episode <laughs> five. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I guess I would, if I have to uh, answer that, I would definitely say I probably would rather shoot in the cold. 
Uh, I'm not a big fan of the cold, but the heat, man, it just it's there's, it's a whole new level of misery. That <laughs> well, what's that, uh, worse on the on the cameras? Would cold drain your battery faster, or was it is it harder I, on the camera equipment, or is it? It uh, does a little bit, but not. I wouldn't um, say it really affects us that much. And we have you know so many batteries in the way you know we've right. got so many backups. But the heat is another thing that's very hard. I mean, there's you know a lot of the cameras, especially early on in the 4K, the processors were doing everything they could to keep up and. There were, you know, 3D printed trays where they were putting dry ice in the top, trying to cool the tops of these cameras and things just to keep them going because they would just shut down. Yeah. They'll just shut down. So, probably probably yeah. easier to keep your cameras warm than to cool them in the heat. Yeah, so. Absolutely. So yeah, the absolutely. cold it is. There's your answer. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I agree with that 100%. Although, uh, I, I did get screwed one time on a show in Toronto, as a matter of fact. Uh, my way. Um, my way. I, yeah, right. I had no idea that KinoFlows will actually – dim down in the cold and we were shooting in 20 below it was january in toronto and uh, i had lit this shot and it ran inside and we were shooting we were like eight takes nine takes in and i'm like something is not right and i finally went out there and realized that the key light had gone down about two stops and it was like oh gotta go back and get another take of that if we could please because somebody screwed i was too much of a chicken to come out and double check my key light you know oh man so, but anyway. well, that's some that's something that people who are not in the film industry maybe don't realize that you're dealing with color temperatures. You're, you know, the, between the sun and, and light bulbs and fluorescent lights, and that's a challenge that you have to deal with. And I, I love that there was a scene that we shot together back in, uh, God, what episode was it? It was the uh, the the chair the chair salesman guy. It was three oh seven. And uh, we had this big furniture department, and you were willing to mix color temperatures in the bulbs and just have, you know, orange bulbs, blue bulbs, which was great to do. How how often, you know, do you, you usually try to do a balance, right? But how often do you let something go blue in the background or or orange well, or? It just has to fit it story wise, right? I mean, yeah. that was just so perfect for the place. <laughs> you know, put up your feet, put your feet up. Remember, you kept switching it around. But anyway, sorry. Um, yeah, fun. so so it, it, to me, it all has to be driven, you know, back to Slovis again, and, and that lesson, it's got to be driven by the story, and that just made such sense, that mm -hmm. it was so much fun to embrace, uh, to uh, find, you know, because we shot at it in a store that was not too unsimilar right. to, to one that that guy, you know, potentially owned in the story, and, uh, and it was perfect, <laughs> it was perfect. Speaking of Michael Slovis, these California wildfires, I felt like the other day that I was living in a Michael Slovis Mexico filter. Right. It was yeah. so, <laughs> it was so The color. And I love so that good. you have found, well, when our characters are near the border, that you found a balance between the United States look and then uh, Michael's uh, Mexico uh, yellowish orange filter. <laughs> yeah, the tobacco is a tobacco, tobacco filter. filter. Yeah, we, yeah, we uh, well, we dialed back on that just a little bit anyway for the Mexico look, but but yeah, you know, keying in on that and 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 taking it. But I, yeah, I love that. You know, in Bagman, we were able. You know, he got so close to the border; he was still on our side, but he was so close. I didn't want to have, you know, there's that famous one on, on if you Google it, right, the, the Breaking Bad uh, border shot. You can literally see somebody painted it down the border fence, you know, on the left side's Mexico, and it's got the color on the right side. Uh, it's white. So anyway. That's hilarious. Here's a couple questions coming in as well, too. Uh, two good ones from Michelle and from It's Saul Goodman on Twitter, one of our favorite uh, Twitter accounts. Um, this, is, this is a good question, too, from Michelle. She says, uh, the scene with half a Jimmy, this would be in, in the, the courthouse, and it's an infamous scene. Uh, the scene with half of Jimmy's face in real time and the other half in the mirror to make a whole face. Was that a trick, and how was that achieved? 
Uh, no, it's it, I mean, literally, I, I, I'm trying to remember. Uh, that was Melissa's episode, Melissa Melissa's Bernstein. Ep- yeah, I think she. Actually, I feel like not to not to take anyways from Melissa. I feel yeah. like that was a Peter Pitt shot, though. Ah, there you go. See, I, I'm not privy to that stuff, but yeah, I, I mean, she came to. I us, hope I'm right. I think, yeah. <laughs> yeah, with a with you know with an idea about it, and uh, and it was just fantastic. Those surfaces are the way those surfaces are in that set that we shoot all the time. And, uh, and we've used the reflection a little bit, but not as effective. I mean, that was this tent. That was so cool. That was really no, cool. That, yeah, that became, uh, the marketing department saw that shot and just was like, we got to use this in all of our ads. Yeah. <laughs> it just yeah. <laughs> it perfectly so summed up the, his, his mental state. If I'm yeah, not mistaken, I yeah. think that's uh, the, the, the fellow I'm going to talk about in a second here, the Saul Goodman account. I think that's his profile picture that Dave used as well, too. But the question from Saul Goodman Twitter says, um, my question is to Marshall, discuss how it was. Uh, this is a great question. Discuss how it was to film that beautiful time lapse of Jesse tearing through Todd's apartment in El Camino. Insane. That was so awesome. <laughs> um, well, that was uh, that's a, another one. That was actually pitched by Judy Ree our production designer, and uh, she had this idea that she pitched to Vince uh, about, uh, uh, you know, him, about Jesse being a kind of a rat in a maze. And so what her pitch was to actually build the set in the aspect ratio that we were shooting in, in uh, 239, so that it would fit perfectly in the frame. Uh, what we went through to do that uh, was pretty elaborate. But, uh, I mean, I remember early, early on, we actually built that set they taped it all out on the floor and I was up in the perms with my phone trying to make sure it would fit in the frame and stuff. Um, but <laughs> it, overnight, one night, as we left that set, we'd been on it for a couple of weeks, they pulled everything out of the ceiling, all of the ceiling panels, all of the ropes, hundreds and hundreds of ropes and cables and stuff, cleared them all out so we could put the camera up there and do that shot. And uh, it was just, just absolutely magical. I mean, it's one of those things that just so much fun. And how do you light something like that? Because you, you're you're taking away your overhead. It's just everything through all the windows. And ha- I mean, were there rooms in the center that just had had bulbs or hidden somewhere, or ha- how was that achieved? No, we lit it pretty much how we'd lit uh, the rest of the you know the rest of that searching scene. I mean, it had become day, so you know that was the that was the one kind of uh, forgiveness. But uh, but we did have a little bit of ambience from the top just to kind of fill it in a teeny bit. But uh, my only regret about that shot, and I didn't think about it until afterwards, was not moving the sun during the shot, so that they, oh. so that the sun, and then, you know, of course, I didn't see I, it until afterwards. And I did not notice. Over. Yeah, <laughs> but anyway, that's all on stage. Uh, you know, we obviously, uh, you know, we have fifty-foot ceilings in one of the greatest stages I've ever shot, and I mean, it's incredible wow. in there, uh, and they're you know clean and, and beautiful. But uh, yeah, anyway, so. So that's what it, that's where that kind of came from, and and you know, obviously Vince, you know, developed it and riffed on it. it. Took us, gosh, I don't know, four or five hours to get that shot. I think it was, uh, that was our last day before the Christmas break, if I remember correctly. Wow. Marshall, question for you. I'm going to combine two questions. This is one I had on my list, is and we can combine two here. What is one of the coolest shots you can walk away from saying, like in your time with Better Call Saul, and we could say El Camino as well too, but we'll we'll, we'll say strictly with Better Call Saul for now. What was one of the coolest shots you've pulled off, whether it was somewhat accidental on purpose, got lucky. And what was one of the, maybe the more, the most difficult, um, so like maybe almost a nightmare to pull off, but you did it. So maybe one of the coolest moments that you can recall and maybe a nightmare as well. Um, well, the, the interesting thing about the nightmares is the ones, they're the ones that sneak up on you and you don't <laughs> see coming. So there, there's, you know, they, they come along 
fairly often and, and <laughs> it's just a battle to get back to even normalcy sometimes but so I, I can't necessarily come up with a great example of that one although maybe the inside of uh of the you know uh, the restaurant uh, uh, the ice cream shop that we shoot in sometimes right uh, i can't remember the name of it offhand but anyway that big window that's there we we end up creating daylight out there oftentimes when we lose the light and we're constantly bringing daylight through there and trying to and so the grips have to build a big return so that it looks like it's sky out there and we're fading color into the sky and anyway so that was the first time that one kind of reared its ugly head that was a good battle um but i would say uh el camino i think that top shot probably uh the shot that tom brought up earlier i was really proud of that you know it's those those little things that kind of really sell things, you know, the, the heat underneath the lens, that one, you know, was a lot of fun. Um, uh, you know, we, it, it, there's a lot of them. It, it, you know, it's hard to necessarily pin them down exactly, but, but, uh, but yeah, that was a good one. I mean, even the, uh, the, the crane shot, well, actually there's two more, the crane shot of the ice cream cone on the sidewalk, which led in and out of the ant sequence. And also uh, a shot I did with Peter, which, which I still talk about as being the one that we probably was the most collaborative. And we talked about for weeks and weeks and weeks. And we finally got there first the take. Lantern shot, yeah. yeah, exactly. So it's the opening. It's the teaser for lantern, which is uh, 310. And uh, it was, uh, we had to have a periscope on the camera. Essentially it was a shot that traveled about 150 feet across the backyard and into that tent and into the lantern uh, about two and a half, three inches off the ground. And, uh, they had to build the tent so that it could pull apart as the crane went in. And I mean, it was a, yeah, it was a big, big McGill. And it was one of those things we'd been talking about it for weeks. We just had no idea it was ever, you know, no belief that it was going to ever work the first time. And the first take was perfect. And we all looked at each other and we're like, Oh, <laughs> like, what do we do now? Anyway, so we did a bunch more, but uh, here's, a here's one. a good one here too. And someone we all miss, I'm sure from the cast and crew to the fans and every, everywhere in between. Uh, from Karina, she says, "How flattering was it uh, to Marshall to have Robert Forster say he was a big fan of your work?" Uh, it was incredible, and that guy just such a class act. I mean, everybody is on the show. He, but he, uh, he will always have a special place in my heart. That uh, that as he, I happened to be showing up at the location the first time he was pulling in, and I can see uh, he was uh, talking to the, the driver that was dropping him off, and the, the guy was pointing at me, and he was looking at me, and. Anyway, so come to find out that uh, he was a big uh, cinematography fan, kind of a student of it, was a big Haskell Wexler fan. Um, uh, you know, Haskell took him under his wing on medium cool and, and taught him all kinds of stuff. So he goes out of his way to, uh, to come and meet the cinematographer and, and talk a bit about cinematography. And I was just so impressed with that guy. I mean, it's just, it was such a loss. It really broke my heart. But he was just a class act, absolutely a class act. What do you think, Thomas, while too working with him? I I only got to, I didn't get to work with him directly, I, but I met him during Breaking Bad uh, in Peter's episode. I happened to be on stage and I got to meet him and a lovely man, and we we you know important to to the Gilliverse, yeah. <laughs> to our show and to so many. I mean, such a history. I mean, what what can you say about the guy? I mean, Jack, Jackie Brown oh, was, a, it was a film we talk about all the love. time in the room. Yeah. So we, we loved him. We, we were very excited that we got him on the show. You know, there's always this dream. We want to, you know, during casting, we want a Robert Forrester type. We'll, you know, we'd say that. And then we get him. It's just like, it's, you can't believe, you know, if he had gone back 20 years and asked me, you know, would I be working 
<laughs> with these actors, you know, of this of this caliber, I I wouldn't believe it. And well, once it goes back to what what uh, Marshall said earlier, talking about Rockford Files and things of that nature, you know, you, you can picture him as the Rockford, you know, he's like the 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 guy that all the guys want to be and the women all love, you know, it's just just the charisma. And, and unfortunately, I don't know a lot about his career other than the Jackie Browns. I might have seen him in a couple other things, but Jackie Brown was probably my first introduction to him. And I mean, just just insane, awesome, a, a great character, and and it was nice, obviously, you know, getting to uh, you know be part of that uh, the the Gene segment there a little bit one more time. You know, and of course, with El Camino, it was uh, very nice for everyone. And that was uh, Marshall. You shot that during El Camino. Um, we did. We you were we doing had. a shot. And we we were breaking. We were breaking the season uh, while El Camino was shooting, and we had the scene. And we thought, oh, let's let's get it uh, while you guys are in the vacuum store. Yeah, which was just, I mean, such an amazing stroke of luck. I mean, nobody knew, obviously, but uh, but yeah, we we. I'll never forget when Melissa called me and said, what do you think about it? And I was like, let's do it. Uh, you know, I was in. Right? Uh, and uh, it was a lot of fun. And it's, to be able to bring him, you know, to, to the episode it was just such a neat thing. Uh, such a great moment and a nice nice way to send him off, too. He's so good. Yeah. Here, um, we, we talked about Michael Slovis several times here tonight. Obviously, everyone is a major fan from all of us, all of us combined here. But uh, Nat says, uh, Michael Slovis jumped into directing. Are you thinking about it? <laughs> no, <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I was lucky enough when I was working on CSI, they invited me to direct, and uh, I directed. I ended up directing six or seven episodes of CSI, um, which I hated every minute of. Uh, I love what I do. I, I am thankful to have walked a mile in the shoes, and honestly, for the residuals too, because it's fantastic. But uh, oh, it's network um, money. <laughs> yeah, right. And replay all over the world. But um, uh, it uh, it just wasn't my thing. I, you know, I, I'm I'm committed to the camera and the photography. Always have been, uh, and uh, and so it was great to do and experience and really know what the directors go through uh, every day. But it's just not for me. That's right. Well, Tom and I talked about this off the air. Just be, we were doing a test call, and, and I think it applies here. Know where your strengths are, and you know you could you could do something over here and spend some time over here and do that, and you know maybe but maybe you're not going to be so good at it. And you 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 I will look at you and think you probably could be very good at it, but your specialty is the photography and and you know capturing what we see. So focus on that, and there's nothing wrong with saying no once in a while for sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I it just uh, I, I I'm. Especially as I kind of was getting older and realizing I, I, I got to do stuff that makes me happy. And this, right. this makes me smile. I look forward to going to work every day, especially on Saul. I mean, it's just so much fun. Uh, uh, so, and and I hated it. Like I said, I was just, I was wound up and tight and stomach was in knots. It's just not something I enjoyed. So, anyway. <laughs> Is there ever a scene uh, that you've done where you thought, uh, where you look back on the show and think, oh, I, w- I want to like that differently? Wish I had done a scene differently mm-hmm. or you... Pretty, I mean, I don't. There's no scene to me that stands out as being something to redo. But I just did. I didn't know if there was something that you thought. Oh, I would. I would do that differently now. Or yeah, I'm sure there have been a few things where I wish I'd brought a little bit more contrast. I mean, the great thing is I kind of get a do-over in 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 the color timing anyway, because you can manipulate so much, and and uh, we have such a strong signal and such a great group that you know we have a lot to work with. So. Um, so I can always kind of get, if I missed it, if I missed the boat the first time, I can always kind of get it there, especially with power windows and stuff. I mean, you can set a double on the wall now that you can, uh, you couldn't do before anyway. So, um, I wouldn't, I, yeah, I, I can't remember. I know there are, sure there are a few, but, uh, 
but yeah, I. Uh, well, what is what's amazing is that there's you know we get limited time to do this stuff. You do, I mean, and what you do in that time is incredible. I mean, just it's again, it's just a uh, you know your talent and the and the talent of your crew. It just it's amazing. It's amazing what can be done because it is. They're all. You, you take some of these frames and like you want to hang them on the wall. They're so, be- they're so beautiful. And it's like you don't realize it's a scramble. It's like you get a 12-hour day trying to jam it all in and, and, and you want to get done on time so people don't get tired and hurt. and, and you know. So it's, it really is amazing what you do. And, and it's, you know, it does it, nothing looks rushed. It's no, <laughs> which, is, which is fantastic. And, and when you are yeah. directing and doing this, you feel like you're going – hundred miles an hour. <laughs> I feel the, the same way, you know, in the morning when we get those images, I can't be, you know, it puts such a smile on my face where, uh, uh, they nowadays send the, the, the footage of, uh, a high speed transfer or even, you know, even sending the, uh, the, the decks. But, uh, we were last year, especially we were coloring in Albuquerque doing the dailies color and then sending the stuff to post so we could get the the images uh of the dailies that you know the next morning and there nothing puts a smile on my face being able to go through that you know while we're setting up the first shot and then looking because it all pays off and 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 you're not rushed when you're actually looking at them and it's like you know what hey we did okay last you know yesterday <laughs> but it's tough i mean that's one thing you know it's funny peter says that too all the time that that's one resource that we can never have enough of and we can't ever have any more of it is it's a finite amount of time and no matter how many toys or you know no matter what you have it's uh it's still still a t- ticking clock so yeah. you got to make the best of it not once watching the show have i ever had that feeling of i'm a big austin powers fan i love uh well mike myers a fellow canadian as well too um, but I've never had that feeling of rolling out a little, uh, you know, a, a back screen, uh, Southern California. It's like, everything seems so legit, you know, it's just, and, and I know there's tricks as we talked about at the top of the show, but every, everything seems so believable. And when you're not looking for those mirrors and the smoke and the tricks, you know, I, us as the, 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 the audience at home is, if, and as you've said as well too, if you don't know what it is, we've done our job right. Yeah, well, they, but in all fairness, like we, we, I mean, I've done shows where we are like, you know, we're scrambling to get a commercial on a day and, you know, there's, we have 10 days, nine, 10 days to do uh, an episode, which is, it's a pretty fair amount of time. Now, granted, we you know we're, we're doing a lot. So, but I, it's not like we, you know, we, we, we are, uh, we don't have enough of it. They, they definitely give us enough. It's just, it's, it, it's never enough. It's never, you know, no matter what project you're doing, you never feel like you have enough time. You know? And, uh, it seems like no matter how big they get, you always feel that way. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's a nine, nine day schedule. Uh, some, some episodes got up to 10 and then other episodes got a little more, but it, they could give us 30 days and we still find ways to struggle to make it in. <laughs> in that time period for sure i want to know if you're going to demand now so since you're an uh an emmy nominee you're going to man demand that amount of prep on every episode <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was one of the one of the weird benefits of being directing after vince gilligan was that his 508 shoot kept expanding expanding <laughs> which gave me more and more prep time uh which meant being able to go to the trampoline park with my kids <laughs> a couple of days <laughs> I can see having, I can see Tom having a bigger list of demands like a Van Halen writer now if he if he happens to win you know no brown M and M's in my tr- my dressing room my trailer That's right. you know all this kind of stuff my my Perrier has to be at such and such a degree of temperature um, I'm gonna go back to some questions backwards in the chat there's some really good ones here as well too this is from Nat says uh, do you think that new technologies 
in post-production are somewhat polluting cinematographers' work. Like, you know, take some of these big budget, I, I don't want to center it like Michael Bay or anything like that, but some of these things where there's just so much emphasis on what you can do post. It, it, do, you, do you agree that maybe there can be some pollution there? Well, I, I, yeah, and it's all, you know, to a certain extent, it's kind of hard to tell exactly which ones have kind of been saved that way or, or done that way. I mean, I, I, you know, I hear rumor of, because, you know, I've been shooting and I don't hang out with other cinematographers on the set and really get to watch them work, but you always hear about the occasional person who doesn't necessarily do a whole lot uh, lighting-wise on set to, uh, to kind of manipulate things and, and, they do it all in post, and it's amazing to me. It always, it never ceases to amaze me how much you can get away with doing that. But, uh, but that's not something we necessarily rely on, and, and uh, it is a little bit of a cheat, I think, on some level. But you know, again, it's you only have a certain amount of time, and it's a commitment one way or the other. You're going to do it on set, or you're going to do it in post. Um, and uh, uh, so we have a specific amount of time, and I kind of know how much I can can do in those. Yeah, we're doing some power windows, we're darkening walls and ceilings and floors, and all of our favorite things, but, uh, um, yeah, it's, I mean, it can be overused. It feels like, but I, I think used properly, it's, it's a fantastic tool. Yeah. I, I'm all in. Yeah. Moderation. And just like anything. the Char the Charlie Chaplin shot where he rolls up to the edge. Sometimes we get bailed out by our, our, our effects guys or, our, uh, you know, CG guys will, will do amazing stuff for us. Like the, the, the scene where Mike shoots Werner, just felt like we wanted, you know, what was shot on the night was great, but we just had the feeling of we want to be wider. And then we took the real frame, our visual effects guys took the real frame and then built a whole sky around it. So what you're seeing in that particular shot is mostly CG with what was shot on the day in the in the bottom right corner. It's just, uh, it's amazing what can be done. The benefit Which of shooting in high another. res too, you, get the, you know, when you're shooting such high res, you know, you can really zoom in or zoom out. Yeah, we've kind of unfortunately when we went to the uh, when we went to the Alexa, we don't as much as we we could on some of the other cameras. You know, we would shoot six K and uh, even a little bit more and have a little bit of room to reframe. But uh, but yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it's you know, then you get the dynamic range back though, so you can do shots like that and keep it dark, which is you know, which is another thing that I love so much. I mean, that was a shot that talk about getting lucky. We had a one condor because they couldn't come out on the dump. We couldn't bring any heavy equipment out there. That was a half mile away, and we had a. 9k in it that was spotted in as hard as it could that was streaking across <laughs> that bathroom background just picked up just a teeny bit of the moisture in the air and Amazing. separated him enough oh, oh. Uh, it, was, it was like oh i love that anyway, i love it better lucky than good i always say <laughs> here's a comment and a question so the comment and this is obviously well i know we're all going to agree on this but the saul goodman twitter says better call saul has the best cinematography of any show the entire show is art and we talked about like tom said you know every every frame is a photo you could literally pause that show on a good you know hd uh, you know tv and have a postcard so i agree with that and and i know i'm going to pronounce his name wrong but rastasarius uh and we talked a little bit about chuck mcgill uh there for a little bit but could you talk about shooting chuck's condition that's a, that's a very good question um well you know honestly i didn't get to do that that much i mean i love that inside of that set and i was really terrified when it went away i you know i was like wow i mean we do some such uh, some amazing images in there it was so much fun to light and work with michael mckeon who was just incredible to watch but um so i was terrified but uh uh i didn't you know that was all arthur and and the guys that kind of really did that in the first two seasons they really kind of developed a style and a look for uh 
for him and 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 the you know the affliction that he was going through. So I can't take a lot of credit for that. That you know a lot of that stuff was already pre-established. But um, uh, you know, and and again, you know, Michael was just you know to watch him work is just incredible. I mean, yeah. Here's, here's a fun one, Tom, and you come in on this as well, too. And I know, uh, and I mean, this, this is a fan theory. This is being brought up by Nat. Um, and I know, obviously, we can't comment on any things that are in the future here, too. And I never heard about this fan theory. I love watching some of these YouTube videos and see the fan theories, what's going to happen, and that kind of stuff as well, too. But Nat says, a fan theory, and we talked about Robert Forster just uh, uh, 10, 15 minutes ago. The fan theory is Ed the Disappearer is Kim's dad. <laughs> I'm going to nip that one of the buttons to say no. Yeah, okay. It's not Kim's dad. No, okay, there we go. I, I can comment on anything that's coming up because I don't know squat. That's, that's so. right. That's right. <laughs> I well, got fan theories of my own. I'm going to, you know, usually I don't want to comment on things, but I'm going to say no. Okay, there you go. Well, that's, that's good. Kim's Squash dad. it. Squash it. And that's the thing. You know, it's, it's got to be awesome for you guys. Uh, and when I say you guys, everyone at, at, at the headquarters, all these fan theories that people are so invested that they're they're connecting dots and they think they're they're and sometimes it could be on our on on the right path other times they're far out of left field but it's so amazing and flattering that they're spending and i'm i'm one of those people you know i'm i'm theorizing and hypothesizing of what's going to happen but that shows how invested we are all in the show yeah it certainly helps the storytelling. I mean, in 509, I, I knew people are expecting, people are expecting Kim Wexler to die. And I was just like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to just show the, the clues hairs, that right? yes, it's going to happen in this episode and then, then take it away at the, at the end. Yeah. So yeah. it's, it's great to have fans who are invested, but some, you know, it's, it's also great to manipulate their, their feelings over that, <laughs> over that. Cause sometimes people will come up with the wildest things trying to guess what we're going to do. And you know, the, that's, the great thing about the way we work is that we don't know as writers what's coming next. So we get ourselves in a corner and then we're like, Oh shit, how do we get out of this? And if it's not easy for us to, you know, a group of seven people to figure out in a week's time, then when we do come up with the answer, hopefully it is surprising. You're going to have that 10% at home going, Oh, I knew that was going to happen anyway, but hopefully <laughs> it doesn't happen that often. Well, hopefully, when uh, this is all said and done, you can put us you can put us in touch with Marie Schrader's Dave because we're all going to need some counseling when this is all said and done. <laughs> I know I'll need counseling when this is over. I'm going to be sure. very sad when we when we break this group up. I'm sure. But your guys' attention to detail goes to a whole new level, though. So I mean, that's what I think that you know really get invests them because you know potentially there is. I mean, I was amazed to find out. Is that true that? Uh, that uh, Lalo's wearing uh, Hector's belt buckle from from the, the, the scene with the two the two little cousins because somebody had a you know, I, saw that. I think that is true. I was blown I, away. I was like, wow. See, I, this is stuff I, I, I don't, don't know where that came stuff. from. I don't know if it was Peter or like or our costume department who I don't know who who decided to do that. But <laughs> that was good. A lot of people were centering on that one. And we've got the Salamanca uh, brothers coming up uh, in two weeks as well too, which is gonna be a lot of fun. <laughs> That'd be cool. Here's, here's awesome. a good question before we, we're about ready to wrap up in about uh, two minutes. This was from Andrea, and I forget the original question. Um, but in, before we ask her a question as well, too, I noticed uh, bobbleheads.com are in the chat as well tonight. Too. They're going to be working with us to give away some really cool Saul Goodman and Better Call Saul uh, action figures and bobbleheads. So a uh, big thank you to bobbleheads.com, Royal Bobbles. 
Um, when are they? When are they doing the uh, Tom Schnell's life size? Yeah, dog? I you know want what? One. I want one. I want to be number one. <laughs> Guys, I, I'm not gonna go. I'm not gonna promise. I'm not gonna make any promises. And they're listening, but they do custom bobbleheads. So look them up at bobbleheads.com. You can get all. They got the. They got the Hector Salamanca. They've got the Kim Wexer, which we're giving away right away uh, this month. They've got Jimmy. They've got uh, uh, Mike, which is out of stock at the moment, and they've got uh, um, Gus Spring as well too. But We'll talk to them. I'll get some good high res photos of you guys. Maybe we can get a custom made of each one of you guys. I, I can probably make it happen. Right? That'd right. Be awesome. We'll do it. But but Andrew was asking earlier about the scene with uh, the marriage scene. And that was kind of a, you know, in a, here again, it's a courtroom type scene. Uh, lighting may or may not be difficult. Um, but what were your thoughts on filming that scene of the marriage? Oh, boy. I'm trying to, I mean, you know, we wanted to give it a kind of a different vibe and a different feel from other courtrooms in there. You know, um, that was kind of the biggest thing. He wanted it to, to feel like a different place that, you know, that, that we haven't been in every nook and cranny in that building yet. And, and that this had some sort of kind of special quality to it, because that was, uh, you know, it, you didn't necessarily know what was happening as they were talking about it until we kind of got to that moment. So, um, so then, you know, we, they, they gave us a nice window in there. We were able to give it, you know, a little bit of sunlight and, and give it, you know, kind of a fun quality. And, uh, you know, <laughs> I just I still love, you know, the photos that they were taking with the old Kodak cameras. Yeah. And stuff. And I don't even know where they found those things. Right? <laughs> they even exist anymore. That's right. Yeah. yeah that's another, another compliment, compliment. Yeah. I can't even say the word compliment to Marshall. We did pickup scenes in 410 of the super lab which we hadn't shot in because Giancarlo had broken his, his leg and we uh, got pushed to the end of the season. And I said to Marshall, can we just make it look different than the way it's been? And he came up with this whole new lighting plan that is like, oh my God, this is the space. You know, it's like, how much can you do in here? And he found another way to light it. It was just it was, uh, great. I want to tell you, okay, so we got to, do we have a second to elaborate we do, on that we do. story? Yep. So, so, so he uh, uh, was not allowed to move, move. He had, you know, his leg in a cast and was, as an actor, was not allowed to move. So Tom had designed this amazing shot where we start over the shoulder on him or sideways on him. We pan off and we go up to. Um, it was Gus. Gus started in frame. He, he, that's right. He was touching the wall of the super lab. We panned off of him and then we followed Gus over his shoulder as he walked to uh, Gail Bedecker. And we did a, a switcheroo with a lookalike. And our <laughs> so that was a our, photo uh, double our production that walks manager was was adamant about do not let Giancarlo walk. He is not allowed to walk on set. He can only move with the assistance of a, a you know of help, and he should not be walking in a scene. And I guess he was off set watching this on the monitor, and he freaked out because he got fooled by the, the switcheroo. <laughs> yeah, he came in and started yeah yelling like, "What are you guys doing? I told you, you know, because everybody goes the extra mile on the set." And John, we knew John Carlo. If you'd asked him to he try, wanted to walk. To walk. He was like, "I'm in. fine. I could walk. I'll do it." But it was like for for legal purposes. Do not walk <laughs> with your broken leg. Yeah. Seth was so freaked out. Yeah. I was convinced he was walking across the stage. Anyway, that's how we knew the shot was working. That's great. Um, we're just about out of time, but I, and I just want to ask one more question from Michelle. She says, and, we, and this is good. There's a lot of Chuck McGill stuff coming up, which is, which is great. I, I love Michael McKeon. I'm a Spinal Tap fan, so I, I go back to that a lot, you know, uh, Davis and Hubbins. But she says, when Chuck is walking to the payphone in the space blanket, the super colorful street with all the lights, was that a real street? Based on some other answers, I'm thinking smoke and mirrors. Good question. Uh, no, that was a real street. That's the street that the uh, that the theater is on. It's it's a well known street in Albuquerque, and it's got a lot of neon and color on it. 
uh, I mean, it was exaggerated because of, uh, you know, for him, because, you know, he had to make that trip and, and, and that was the way to kind of really sell, uh, you know, his agony in, in, in that trip. But, uh, uh, yeah, that was, that was all in, that was all there. And, and, uh, and that was a fun scene. Another one that was like, you know, we got the, uh, the very cams out that was early on in the very cam stuff. And, uh, and we're really able to kind of take advantage of it on that street and, you know, get a lot of background and depths and all those colors and stuff. Um, I'm trying to remember, talk about Charlie Chaplin, because uh, uh, there was a, the theater across the street. We actually ended up on one of the phone shots. Uh, oh, no, it was actually Buster Keaton is in the is in the window there oh, behind that's him. Right. They had a big poster right. on the wall. And we, yeah, it was like, oh, my God, what, how did that happen? But, <laughs> but it's the weird stuff you find, you know, as you wander around the streets. Well, that's a cool thing. Like that's that goes to show you was some of this is real. A lot of it is real. Some of it isn't what we'll never know as, as viewers from home. We don't know. And that's a great thing. But as we get ready to wrap up here, I mean, it's been absolute, absolute pleasure. I have to watch this back so I can take in all this photography stuff myself, too, because I, I want to make some notes. But just thank you, Marshall, for joining us. I want to go over a few uh, post-show notes here as well, too. Uh, coming up uh, next Friday on the 18th, we talked about Kim Wexler. Uh, the, the lovely uh, Ray Seahorn joins us. Um, I had a chance to interview her before Tom joined uh, the program here when I was just doing Rock Shop Live. We've got her coming back. And uh, we'll be talking about her great contributions to the show, as even Bob Odenkirk has said, and a lot of people have said, you know, it's all season five is all about Kim Wexler. So we're looking forward to having her back. Uh, be sure to check us out on Instagram. Uh, we're at Inside the Gilliverse as well, too. Also, this is something I really want to say. Watch both, uh, check out both Tom's and Marshall's uh, Twitter accounts and Instagram accounts. We have them linked in the description down below. And my beautiful better half, Sandra, has been sharing them all evening as well, too. Some great behind-the-scenes photos showing all the stuff that we talked about tonight. The Emmy Awards are coming up Sunday, September 20th. Fingers crossed. I'm not trying to jinx anything. I'm just praying for all of our people at uh, uh, Better Call Saul <laughs> HQ. All of you uh, really want this for the team. Uh, I really, really do. Uh, audio podcast fans, we are everywhere that you can get your podcast. So this episode will be available. I don't rest. I don't sleep. So when as soon as I say goodnight, I'm getting the audio podcast ready to go. And be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel for all kinds of goodness as well, too. Gentlemen, this has been great. Tom and I were off for a week because of the break, and it feels like a month. I know for the fans and for myself as well, too. Just like just like you guys are all fans of your own show, I'm a fan of this because I love this show. It's so great to talk to you. It's been a blessing. Well, I couldn't thank you guys enough. It, it really is. And, I, you know, I miss being there with you guys. And, uh, man, I can't wait to, to, to get back to it. I'm so excited. And uh, especially with everything that's going on right now, it really uh, it, it, it makes you thankful for what, what is special. And, and for me, that, that, that place and those people is a pretty special place. So I can't thank you enough. Well, good luck. Good luck on your current shoot. I know you're in quarantine in Pennsylvania, so you know it's, uh, we won't give away any details of what you're working on. But uh, I hope it. I hope it goes well. Knock on wood, and everyone stays safe. Yeah, production yeah, is a hard too. thing, and I just want I want you and your crew to get through this successfully. And I'm hope you know good good vibes to all of you guys. <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah, everybody's working really hard to make it happen, and uh, it's it's going well. So I think uh, I think we found a way to keep us all safe. So it's pretty exciting. Great. Good. That's Love to hear that. Awesome. That's good. Yeah. Be safe, everyone. Have a fantastic and safe weekend. Come see us next week as well, too. Same time, 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific, as uh, Kim Wexler, Ray Seahorn herself, joins us. We're going to talk uh, some, we'll continue this conversation. And I'm going to say goodbye to everyone. Again, be safe out there. And Tom and uh, Marshall, don't go away. Also, goodbye to you off the air. Everyone, thanks so much. We're glad to be back. And we'll see you again next week. Same time, same channel, same place. Until then, cheers.
Thanks again for tuning in to Inside the Gillivers with Tom and Eric. Be sure to check back each week for more great discussions and interviews with cast and crew from Breaking Bad, El Camino, and Better Call Saul. 